Hey, Fedheads, welcome to another episode of Cigar Chat on Cigar Federation. I'm your host, Trip, here with my co-host, uh, John the Cigar Surgeon. John, how you doing today? Good, buddy. It's a little it's a little on the chilly side. I wish I had some of that Florida weather up here, you know, but uh, we're, we're making do. We're lighting cigars. We're talking to a good guest tonight. So, you know, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. And our guest tonight is uh, Jeff Borshowitz from Corona Cigar Company and... Uh, kind of proprietor of Florida sun-grown tobacco. How you doing, uh, Jeff? How you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, of course. Um, and of course, uh, this is Cigar Chat. We're broadcast live on Facebook and around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, also available as a podcast or as a rebroadcast on YouTube. Uh, so if you, if you can't catch the whole show, feel free to come back and catch it on YouTube. Uh, and so, so Jeff... So let's start off by just talking a little bit about uh, how how you, what your involvement in the industry is because you've got your hands in a lot of different pies across the industry. Well, I'm a, a retailer. I own Corona Cigar Company in Orlando, which has uh, three very large retail stores and cigar bars uh, in Orlando, and then a, a Davidoff uh, store in Tampa. So we've been in the retail business since 1996, and uh, we also. Uh, have been in the online business since 1998, and um, we started out as a mail order catalog uh, in '96, and and we've been in business now for 20, uh, going on 21 years here, and uh, it's been uh, it's been a great it's been a great experience and a, a great a great ride. Let's put it that way. And um, a few uh, 2013, um, we started a farming project in Claremont, Florida, growing. Uh, Florida cigar tobacco, bringing that back after a uh, basically a 40-year hiatus, and um, you know we're not the first to do it. It had been done for close to 200 years, but uh, it became economically uh, impossible to grow cigar tobacco in Florida. Um, but as a retailer, as a very large retailer, it sells a, you know a lot of cigars. We were able to uh, to take. Uh, you know, use Corona Cigar as the as the catalyst to to have a farm and to uh, grow tobacco and make the uh, investment was required. And um, I'll tell you right now, growing cigar tobacco is you know it's we call it a nonprofit. Cause <laughs> but but at the same time, um, you know, after five six years, the idea is to make it sustainable so that it's not a so not not losing money every single year. They say there's a you know the easiest way to make a million bucks in the cigar industry, start off with two. But um, in, the, in the cigar tobacco world, it's uh, it's even more difficult because there's a tremendous amount of risk involved and it takes a long oh, time yeah. before you see any, you know, even any cigars that, that come out of your, you know, off from your crop. So, um, but it's it, it's important to, to me personally, it was important to do these things. Um, there's a political side to this too when I started the farm. Uh, we, we we mentioned earlier on the before the introduction of the show that um, my involvement with Cigar Rights of America I was involved with that for eight years as the chairman and uh, co-founder of it and uh, there were some reasons that when we were up on uh, in Washington talking about you know the importance of the premium cigar industry and how many jobs and how many shops and things like that you know we would talk about you know, how many jobs are in Nicaragua and Dominican Republic and Honduras. And our elected officials would look 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 you square in the eye and said, "I don't care about those jobs. I need to know how many American jobs you're talking about." 
How many American cigar shops are we talking about? How many American farms? How many American manufacturers? And the only place that was growing cigar tobacco at the time that was being used is in Connecticut. And um, I got to tell you, the guys in Connecticut, the last thing they want to do is get involved in politics. And there's yeah. a reason behind that, too, because the only time they ever saw anybody from the government was there to give them a hard time. You know, give them a hard time about some labor regulation or farming regulation, whatever it is. So, so anyway, it's a that's a that's that's a, a two minute introduction for you, <laughs> but that, that that gives you a little bit of a you know sort of a thirty thousand foot view of, of what we're doing. Well, I guess I mean hopping right into the Florida Sungrown, you know, project as you put it. I, I have to imagine. I mean, if you're growing tobacco in Nicaragua, especially around you know Esteli, Alapacandega. At the end of the day, if you're having a rough harvest or, you know, you know, it's like one of those things, you don't have to go very far to find another tobacco farmer. Florida, which used to have, I don't know, what, 500, 550 some odd tobacco growers is down to like, what, 40, 43 tobacco farmers. So it's not. Yeah, those are cigarette. <coughs> those are cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which the plant itself, this, this, when you have what's called dark tobacco, which is your, your cigar tobacco and your bright tobacco, which is the cigarette tobacco, um, the plants themselves actually grow quite the same. However, the methods of harvesting and the mm. methods, you know, when it comes to quality and everything else are totally different in fermentation, all that other stuff. But I will say this, those 40 or so farmers that still grow cigarette tobacco in Florida, um, without having, you know, listen, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of cigarettes, but, but at the same time, I, 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 I agree with these guys that grow cigarette tobacco, they don't make any money either. But if it wasn't for, they, they really don't. They I mean, they get like, you know, $4 a pound for their tobacco. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but to be honest with you, most farmers don't make money on anything they do. There's only, it's very difficult to make money in agriculture. But anyway, if it wasn't for the, uh, if we didn't have cigarette tobacco farms in, in America, it would be impossible to grow cigar tobacco in America. And I'll tell you why. Because everything that we do on a farm, every fertilizer, every chemical, every herbicide and, and, and pesticide, anything like that. It all goes through the FDA and the EPA. Mm-hmm. So, and it has to be labeled. These things are handled almost like prescription drugs. So we can't even buy, let's say an herbicide or a fungicide or anything like that if it's not labeled for tobacco. So when you, when you have a company like Sagenta or, or Monsanto or whatever, DuPont uh, or Bayer, they won't if there's not enough farmers to buy the product, they're not going to spend the money to have it tested and labeled every year by the FDA. Sort of like what we're seeing with the cigars under FDA regulation. You know, if you're a small boutique manufacturer, there's no way you're going to send your cigars and be able to have them tested when you don't even sell enough cigars to even cover the, even cover a fraction of the cost of what it takes to have them, have them approved. So the same thing kind of falls in agriculture too. It makes sense. It's just not economically viable. Yeah, and, and by the way, John, they grew cigar tobacco in Canada too. When I, you, <clears> the thing I did is, I, 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 when I got started on this project, the only farmers that grew cigar tobacco in Florida, they're all dead. So because you know they were doing it in, in from the seventies, that was, the last crop was nineteen seventy seven, and the only guys that were growing it back then were old guys, you know, just trying <laughs> to hang on to their you know their little farm. Yeah. So, um, so I studied. You know, Google was my friend. I, I read every document there was, and believe it or not, there's tremendous there's tremendous information on growing cigar tobacco uh, in America. However, those documents are 100 to 125 years old. 
because uh, remember, cigarettes weren't even invented in 19, in 1900. They didn't exist. Everything was cigars, right? That's why when you watch the spaghetti westerns, everybody's smoking a cigar, and yep. you know, they're all smoking cigars. You don't, you don't see them smoking cigarettes. So there were cigar factories all over America. There were cigar tobacco farmers from Connecticut to Maryland, Florida. There was uh, in, in Wisconsin. There was there was a lot of cigar uh, tobacco farms, and so. The United States Department of Agriculture would do tons of studies and write these really good books that, on how, you know, modern, well, they called it modern cultivation. I laugh because <laughs> they talk about a hoe being a modern cultivation. <laughs> it's crazy. A plow was considered modern. So they didn't even invent tractors yet. But uh, those are the books that I had to study in, in to really look at, at the way tobacco was grown in Florida. Because one thing about growing cigar tobacco is you can take, I mean, trust me, I've had tons of help from guys from Cuba to Nicaragua to Honduras, Dominican Republic, and, and uh, Kentucky and Connecticut, everyone and Mexico. So every one of those guys that grow tobacco have always been there to help, right? But there's a difference. When you do something in Nicaragua, you try to do it in Florida, you might ruin everything. If you try to do it like they do in Connecticut and do it here, you might ruin everything because we have different climates, different growing seasons, different altitudes. And, you know, we had to figure this stuff out on our own, but we did. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a labor of love. I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there think, well, you know, Jeff's going to make a bunch of money off the tobacco and off the cigars. But, I mean, like you said, farming, just regular old farming is not a moneymaker. I mean, let alone uh, being the trying to revitalize the entire cigar uh, growing industry in, in Florida. I mean, that's a, that's an uphill battle if I've heard one. Well, yeah. Well, one of the interesting things on the money part is that I remember when in 2013, I still have the email, um, John Oliva, who grows tobacco mm-hmm. in Ecuador and, and used to grow tobacco in Florida, too, by the way, one of the largest brokers and growers of tobacco. And so this guy knew about growing tobacco in Florida. And he said, remember, Eric Newman said, you know, talk to John Oliva because they used to buy tobacco from Florida, too. Remember, the Newmans have a factory in Ybor City and they've been around for 125 years. Yeah. So, um, and they, and, and when the Cuban embargo occurred, they, Florida came, came to the rescue with uh, cigar tobacco in the, in the 60s. But anyway, he was talking to John Oliva about it. So I remember sending John Oliva an email, and John wrote back, You're crazy, don't do it. You're gonna have to. <laughs> he goes, Let me tell you, it's going to cost you $22,000 an acre to grow it. And wow. he goes, And, and it, you, there's no way you can compete when it's costing that much money to grow tobacco. Yeah. And you know what? The guy was spot on on the number. I couldn't believe it. He's spot on. That's what it costs us to grow our tobacco. Wow. And so, but we didn't do it for that reason. Remember, if you're a farmer growing tobacco, you've got to grow your tobacco for a certain price and sell it for a little more, right? So I'm going to stay in business. That's not what our model was. Our model was grow the best tobacco, regardless of the price, and make great cigars that are very unique, and, and I was confident we can sell. We'll sell them through our stores. We sell, you know, all kinds of unique, expensive products in our stores. That, you know, if you grow tobacco in America, it's going to cost more money. There's no way around it. Unless we can convent, invent a machine that can, you know, harvest this tobacco in primings, which is impossible to do, um, you know, you got to pay American wages. And, and, and American wages versus Nicaraguan wages are, you know— it, one full day's worth of labor costs in Nicaragua. I'll get one half hour worth of labor in America. Yeah, yeah, that's the difference. Okay, so it's a huge, huge difference. But 
the end of the day, we weren't doing it for that. We're doing it so that you could have a cigar like this. Where's my camera there? <laughs> you know, an FSG, one of, one of these, or, or, you know, there's six or seven other cigars we got them in, and that would have a different component. You know, the, and the only way to do that is there's no easy way. We, you know, it's a hard road, and, and we, we did it. But it's something we knew that if, um, you know, sort of like when California started growing wine, growing grapes, you know, the Italians were laughing at it. The French were laughing at it. Right? Yeah. But you know what? They, they stuck it out. And even in Oregon, you guys got some great wines out of there. Yep. You know, and, you know, ice wine out of Canada, right? So yep. there's, if you put your mind to it and people did it, you know, it wasn't easy. There were guys that were pioneers that did it, but, uh, you know, they made it happen. All right, and we're going to have a giveaway in a couple minutes. Uh, well, we're actually going to tell you a little bit about the giveaway as soon as we uh, get back from our first break. So here's a break from our first sponsor. Brought to you by Gurkha Cigars. Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Try the 93-rated Heritage featuring Rosado, Ecuadorian Habana wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican, Pennsylvanian, and Nicaraguan fillers. Blended by Gurkha's blending team at American Caribbean Cigars, it's hand-rolled Nicaragua and available in 35-count boxes. Talk to your local B&M about the Heritage today, or talk to them about other fine Gurkha cigars. Whatever your taste preference is, Gurkha has a cigar that's right for you. All right, and we're back. And as promised, we do have a giveaway. We have, uh, I haven't seen exactly what they are, but we have five pieces of art from uh, Subculture Studios that we'll be giving away at the end of the show. So if you ask a question in the comments down there uh, while we're still live and we ask your question, you're entered to win. Um, so, I mean, it couldn't be easier than that. And then at the end of the show, I'll, I'll list out the, uh, the winners and uh, we'll get you some sweet Subculture swag sent your way so Which, and that sorry go ahead sorry. Uh, sorry i was gonna say so that's that's when i saw that stand-up humidor that jesse did with the fsg branding and logo on it oh yeah i mean that i was like can i just you know take it up take it apart and kind of fit it in my carry-on luggage or something and you know maybe nicaraguan officials wouldn't catch that and it is uh it is an impressive piece you know i saw that in in uh, jesse had posted a picture on that when he was making it and i'm I don't even have one of those. Those things are so beautiful. <laughs> but, uh, but actually, seeing Jesse do his work uh, at Subculture Studios for me is something special. Him doing the uh, yeah, it really uh, is. And in, in, in for me, it's a there's a personal thing behind it because John and I became friends in like gosh, I don't know, it was 2000 or 99 when I was down in Nicaragua. And he was literally li- living in, above his factory where it was next to Nick Perdomos. And I remember meeting Jesse. Jesse basically was. John's uh, interpreter. Yeah. Uh, first, John didn't speak Spanish, and then and Jesse was the big, the the, the bodyguard, you know, because Jesse's like three feet taller than everybody else, and that's the yeah. You know what I mean? So we used to spend a lot of time together, and it's just great to see, you know, 15, 16 years later, whatever, that um that, that Jesse's involved with it too. So anyway, that's my short. Yeah, story. I, I have two things to say about that. First. Uh, Whoever at Subculture came up with the FSG logo did a fantastic job because I, f- I yeah. feel like you could slap this logo on anything and it looks great. Uh, it, well, we, we got to give Joey the, the props on that. Um, Joey came up with some different renderings. from we have, we have a tobacco logo that we use for the farm, mm-hmm. and then we have the FSG brand. Let me explain the, the difference here. FSG, the tobacco itself, we, we like to consider that like the Intel inside a computer. Um, FSG tobacco is a, is a component that's used in cigars. Mm-hmm. 
the you know a unique tobacco used in cigars. FSG Florida Sun Grown, the brand is made by Drew Estate, and that's uh, the exclusive product from Drew Estate. So that's why it has that you know the uh, this logo, which is the yeah one for the cigar that's that's uh, um, sold by Drew Estate now. And also, I don't, you know, now it's going to be available at all the retail stores across America, all the Drew Diplomat accounts. So basically, if they got Liga Pravada, they'll be able, they, they'll be able to have uh, FSG as well. Uh, and, and the other note that I have to say specifically about subculture is it's it's really amazing how Jesse has built a team of people who have the same artistic mind as he does. Uh, his whole team paints stuff, and it looks like something that he could have done himself. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, they they you know a lot of those guys were his tattoo guys. That you know. They yeah. Do uh, they had a tattoo studio for a little bit in Managua? So uh, yeah, it, but it's good to see he's got a big team now and. and but it was the one-man band at one time with just Jesse there. <laughs> and uh, it was fun to watch. So maybe we can get into some audience questions, uh, Trippy, because I'm sure there's some yeah. uh, weasels on on, on uh, watching the show for sure. We've got a bunch. And, of course, Facebook is doing it's doing the Facebook. And it's hiding a bunch of the comments. Um, so some of them are getting hidden. The first one I have is from Ruben Go- Goodblood. And he just wants to know: Were there any uh, were there any barriers with like the uh, with the FDA specifically uh, to you getting into growing tobacco? Were you worried about the FDA coming in and kind of stomping out your plans or anything like that? Yeah, remember there was a political side to this. Oh yeah, let me go into that. Um, you know, when again back to the back to the thing about farms and things like that, and we. We started on this FDA battle back in 2000, I want to say 2009. That's when we, when, when you know, uh, CRA started in 2008, 2009, we were able to have uh, Congressman Bill Posey, Kathy Castor, um, and Bill Nelson, and Marco Rubio introduce a bill in the Congress to the, the same, basically the same bill we have today, uh, to exempt the premium cigars from FDA regulation, because we knew there was a problem. Uh, you know, there's no... There's no hiding it. I mean, they, they, once they came out and said they were going to regulate cigars, we knew we had we knew we had an issue. So, but the thing is, and business, and this is just my my business advice to anybody out there, um, you can't sit there and, on the sidelines and wait and wait out. You know, if if we if this and this is my recommendation to the whole industry too, by the way, if you sit there and wait on the FDA, oh, maybe they're going to regulate, maybe they won't. But we could have been sitting on the sidelines for eight to twelve years. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. gotta you gotta continue on with your business, continue on your vision, continue on with your with your life. In in, I'm not saying ignore FDA, but it's not going to stop us from being innovators. It's yeah. not going to stop us from from doing what we do. Um, we're going to continue to you know grow grow FSG tobacco. We're going to grow the brands. We're going to you know operate Corona Cigar Company as if you know whatever rules we have to deal with, we'll deal with. But we're not gonna we're not gonna you know be like a hermit crab and go inside a shell. So there, but the flip side of this is that there's a saying, you bet the farm, right? So in this case, the way the current regulations are written, yeah, we bet the farm on it. But I've I've always had, my gut instinct has never steered me wrong. And I always recommend people trust your gut. If your gut tells you something's wrong, it's wrong. If it tells you it's okay, it's usually okay. I still to this day believe there's no possible way that the current FDA regulations as written will be able to be even implemented on the cigar industry, let alone we got a lawsuit out there, 
We're working with the you know FDA and the OMB and working with members of Congress because as written right now, if this thing gets enacted the way it is, half of the industry's out of business, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I just as an American, I just don't believe that that's possible to let that happen. That people in Congress, Democrats or Republicans, are going to sit on the sidelines and say, "Oh, that's okay." I, I just don't see that happening because once the once the you know the caca hits the fan, you've got people that are going to see. No, these guys weren't just crying wolf. They're not. You know, they weren't weren't saying this guy's falling. This is real. This FDA impact is real. So, yes, it is a concern. And we constantly work on this. I mean, we spend a, a lot of time and, and, and money on this, uh, you know, battling the FDA. And it's unfortunate for every dollar we spend in, in politics and battling this, it, that's dollars that could be used for productive things. You know, put, yeah. you know spending money in Washington is not a productive use of money. You know, it, <laughs> for it's anybody. Not. It's not. It's not, not at all. Think about how much money is wasted on on campaigns when they talk about the billions of dollars spent on campaigns. But anyway, no. that's that's a whole other show. But, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, FDA, yes, it's a concern. We did get F, we did get um, FSG cigars by Drew Estate out before the the deadline, whenever that was last year. Um, so everybody started, you know, getting cigars in the market just to beat that that, that deadline. Yeah. But even with that deadline, I still don't. Listen, this industry, I don't, you, you cannot name an industry out there where if you said no new products after this date, where would we be with anything? I mean, yep. just look at, just let, let me, look. Mm-hmm. I've got Maker's Mark in front of me, right? This Maker's Mark, Maker's 40, this is a private select, by the way, that we do. This didn't exist, you know, three years ago. Maker's Mark 46 didn't exist four years ago. So there's all these different things in every category, whether it's cars, computers, liquor, the only industry that benefits by having only one brand and never having new ones is Philip Morris and Marble. Yeah. You know? But 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 anyway, so that's that's enough on that subject. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep, I, I have a bunch of questions about the farm, but uh, I want to give our audience a, a chance to because uh, <clears throat> yeah. we're talking. We, yeah. we do have some farm questions here. Yeah. All right. Uh, so this one is from our buddy Don Bleeker, and he's noticed. Uh, and has others have noticed too, of course, that there's a distinct citrus note in the FSG. Absolutely. Um, and somebody speculated, he says, that they use discarded citrus as fertilizer. Can you comment on that? I wish we could. I wish we did. But let me tell you, that's the other thing. We talk about agriculture. It's hard to make a living in agriculture. In Florida, the citrus farmers are going broke. We've mm-hmm. got a big problem in this state with something called citrus greening, and it's wiping out the orange groves. Where our farm was at one time was an orange grove. The whole area of Claremont is it was in Orange Grove. We're in the city of Orlando, which resides in the county of Orange County. So, yeah. you know, where the where John the Corona cigar you've been out on Sand Lake Road. Yeah. This Dr. Phillips was a citrus grower. Oh no, everything, kidding! Everything around here used to be oranges. Um, unfortunately, through freezes and everything else, most of the industry started moving a little bit further south. It doesn't matter; these guys are getting knocked out by something called greening. So. Um, there's no orange peels to be had around us anymore. If there were, we could compost it and use it as a, as a fertilizer. But all the juice plants pretty much around uh, Orange County and Central Florida, there are uh, no more oranges to juice. So uh, all, we're, all we're talking is straight tobacco and, uh, and you know, the, topolo- the, the soil composition and the weather of that area. I do have a funny comment about that. What, you, what we do fertilize our tobacco with is there's a town north of here called Ocala, Florida. If anybody follows horse racing and thoroughbred horses, Ocala is the thoroughbred capital 
of uh, Florida. Some of your Kentucky Derby winners, your finest quarter or finest thoroughbred horses are raised in, in Ocala. And we do get manure from the horse stables <laughs> and we, we apply it to the field. And, and I'm talking semi truck loads. We bring it in in January when we're prepping the field. And uh, we do use some of the most prized horse manure on the planet, but uh, I don't <laughs> taste in that. I don't think so. Yeah, I feel like that's not where the citrus flavor is coming from, at least. Yeah, I think, I mean, when I, because I kind of cheated a couple of years ago when I was down at Drew Estate, and I, you know, the, the, in the corner, we spotted the, uh, you know, we spotted the, the Pallone of, uh, of Florida Sun Grown. And so at the time, John was doing the host, and he said, yeah, go over, you know, smell it, touch it, taste it with it on a fire. And the first thing I noticed, the immediate thing I noticed when we combusted it was this really strong citrus component i said you know Mm -hmm. that's got to be my brain playing tricks with florida but i'm like i swear i just immediately get citrus and you know smoking it absolutely immediately get a citrus component and and my brain and my palate cannot move past it i and that's one of the sort of defining qualities that i find in that tobacco yeah well i can tell you this 50 years for for, for 50 years at least where our fields of tobacco were they were it was uh, oranges at one time but uh the, the fields that we have where the, the tobacco are, they had laid fallow, fallow for at least probably 15, 10 to 15 years uh, before we start growing tobaccos. Because uh, most of the orange orange groves, they get hit by a bad freeze. Uh, I don't know, that was 20 years ago. And uh, guys tried to replant, and then they got hit by another freeze right after that. And Oof. said, you can't, the farming, I'm telling you, the farming, it's almost impossible to make money on it. Yeah. You, know, you replant your trees, and then they freeze the next year. Yeah, you gotta love what you do if you're a farmer, because uh, nobody's getting rich. On earth, thank God. I'm telling you, everybody should thank the farmer. Every time yeah. grab something to eat or drink. Yeah. Anyway. I think we can squeeze one more in, Trippy, before the next break. All right. Uh, let me find a good one here. Uh, here's one from Arnold Serafin, and it sounds like he's in the area. He wants to know if you're. So actually, I'm going to preface this by saying you've grown in in the Drew Estate cigars at least. There's been Criollo and Corojo, is that right? Yeah, let me explain that one. So we got our seeds from, remember I told you a lot of uh, guys helped us out. So Eduardo Fernandez was the mm-hmm. guy that really helped me out right from the beginning. Eduardo and I are, are really good friends, and uh, he's a, he's a you, you call people fed heads, he's a, he's a farm head like me. The guy's yeah. in the cattle, he's in the tobacco, he's in the hogs, the guy's in everything. So anyway, so Eduardo and I are always talking farming. And he, you know, he's like, listen, anything you need on this project, you know, I'll help you out with. And he's got, Eduardo's got, he's got a team of Cubans that work with him. And he's got some of the best, you know, Arsenio Ramos and Jacinto. These these guys are the best guys from Cuba that, that work for him in, in Nicaragua. And so Eduardo gave me um, his authentic Corojo 99 and the Criollo 98. And he, again, he, he gets the straight up seeds right out of, out, of, out of Cuba there. And the, both tobaccos, it's a funny story. We were going to plant in 2013 when we started. I planted one half of the field with Corojo and one half with Criollo to do an analysis, which one's going to grow better, right? Yeah. Well, they both grew fantastic. And you really couldn't tell the difference between the leaves. Corojo's got a little more of a barrel shape to it. Criollo, I'm sorry, Criollo's got a little wider barrel shape to it. Corojo's a little little smaller. But let me tell you, the first year when we were growing tobacco, man, we, 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 got, we got smacked because I didn't realize how fast this tobacco was going to grow between harvests. <laughs> so, uh, so we had to, we just had to 
put it all in the barn because because it was ready to go quicker than we can harvest it. So the very first crop had Corojo and Criollo, and that is what's in that limited edition box press one. Now, every mm-hmm. year after that, we've only grown Corojo, and there's a reason. The farm's small. We only grow 5,000 pounds of tobacco a year. I like the flavor of Corojo. I've always been a fan of Corojo, and that's why, it, you know, if both plants perform equally, I, you know, we, I chose Corojo. All right, and uh, we're going to take our st- second station break here, um, and then we'll be back with more more questions from us and a lot more audience questions. This show is sponsored by Cigar Oasis. Don't spend all your time worrying about your cigar wrappers cracking, splitting, or falling apart from humidity fluctuation issues. Set it and forget it by choosing Cigar Oasis, a professional solution which provides equal distribution of humidity with precise electronic controls. Monitor your cigars through the internet using the smart humidor Wi-Fi attachment. Why don't you spend all your time enjoying your cigars and relaxing and let Cigar Oasis protect your cigars. Cigar Oasis has solutions for any humidor. Make sure you set it and forget it today. Four. All right, and we're back. Uh, Surgeon, your timing was just a little bit off there. I think maybe I hit the button before you were... Or, you or, the, cl- or the clock is just frozen up here. Who knows? Possibly. <laughs> you all caught me taking a drink there. You see that? <laughs> <laughs> so so I have a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak in a, uh, a host question here because Trippy and I ha- had an opportunity to go up to uh, Connecticut recently. And, you know, I've been to uh, quite a number of farms, both in Cuba and Nicaragua. And, you know, I made the mistake of thinking, well, you know, farming's farming and harvesting, harvesting. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, that was an eye-opener going to Connecticut because, as you say, Jeff, the labor processes in the United States are like you can't just throw labor at it because labor is where all your money's going. Um, You can't just throw bodies at it. And so we saw a number of things that they were doing processes to optimize labor and optimize production that just simply isn't being done anywhere else in the world. So can you talk a little bit about sort of some of the things that are being done on, on, on the Florida Sun Grown Farm? that simply aren't being done in, say, places like Nicaragua and Cuba because they can just throw bodies at it. Several things that just right off from, from the way we make our, our rows. Um, you know, Florida is the second largest vegetable producer after California. So um, if if anybody goes through I-4 to Tampa, you'll see a town called Plant City where they grow a lot of strawberries. And you'll see um, where the rows have a, a what's called a plastic mulch. It's a, it's a It can be either white or black uh, film that's used. Um, that's a barrier to keep the help keep the weeds down, and also it helps retain the moisture. So we don't have to use as much water. We use drip irrigation. Um, you know, if you're in Nicaragua, the guy has a big hose and he just kind of runs it down each of the of the, of yep. the road. We don't do that. That's that number one. That's very labor intensive. Number two, there's no way you can water a whole field when you need it by trying to do it with a hose. So um, we do it with 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 drip irrigation, um, and also. We use something called fertigation, where we use liquid fertilizer that goes into the drip irrigation, which makes that fertilizer go right on the plant instead of just broadcasting it where half of it washes off and goes into the lakes and stuff like that. We want to put our tobacco or our, our fertilizer into where, where our plants are. So in, in our planting mechanism, we plant the same way they do in, in uh, Connecticut, though, where there's a it's a uh, somebody rides on the back of the tractor. I don't know if you've ever seen them plant. They, it punches a hole. And then you set your 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 mm-hmm. tobacco plant in that way. We we use that. Um, whereas in Nicaragua, they'll just do it by hand with a stick because um, you know it, labor's cheap there, and also there's a lot of people. So they, yep. there's some. There's one. Thing, I, I talked to George Padron about that one time, and he was saying one of the things why they don't mechanize in Nicaragua is besides the cost, 
But the last thing you want to do is have people where they don't have any work to do. Yeah. Because there's, yeah. there's, there's more, there's plenty of people to, to, to do those jobs. But in the United States, you know, it's a little different. We, we've got to try and, you know, again, our, our costs are so high. So we use a, a, a planter, a planting machine that goes behind the tractor. And then also, if we, I don't know if when you're in Connecticut, there's a, a, a machine that we use to sew. Which is much faster than sewing it by hand. Oh, yeah. Which which absolutely blew us away. Yeah, those machines. But you got to learn how to do it. And the other thing is, we I bought our machines from Connecticut because the Connecticut shade grow, growers are growing out of business there because they can't compete with Ecuador. Yeah. And so um, they're almost all the guys are out of business on that. Oh. But so there's a ton of machines up there. So a few years ago, Larry Palumbo from Altidus helped me out. We uh, we were looking at the Altidus farms and their their um, their shade growing operations, and then. Uh, one of the guys that he buy broadly from used to grow shade. So I, I bought uh, five of his, of his machines. These machines are from 1950, though. They're very old. Yep. But um, in, I used to be a mechanic uh, a long time ago. So I have a mechanical background. I thank God I have that because that's the other thing you can't have. If you're a farmer, you better, you better, know, you how better know how to fix things. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's like you being up there in, in, in Canada, if you go in the middle of nowhere, man, you need to fix your own stuff. There's yeah. no, you're not just going to call up and say, hey, fix my tobacco sewing machine. Yeah. You know, you got to. <laughs> and so um, that was part of a challenge. We but we but we did figure it out, and um, we we use those machines that they use up in Connecticut. And um, not only are they they're a little quicker, but the 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 way there's a, it's a Swiss guy that invented it, and. Um, it makes the tobacco placed on the string in a perfect spot. Because if you have somebody stringing tobacco and they put them too close together or too far apart, if they're too close together, it's not enough airflow. And sometimes you'll get them, uh, the stem can rot on you. Yep. If they're too mm-hmm. far apart, your barn should have held 5,000 pounds of tobacco or whatever the number is for someone else. But uh, like for us, we, you know, we need to at least get 5,000 pounds of tobacco on there. If it doesn't, if they space it out too far, your barn will be full and yet you never got all the leaves in. You know what I'm saying? Because you put them. Out yeah, you have 200 pounds of tobacco that you got no nothing to do with. Yeah, so so that's why the machine is good too because it it makes them perfectly spaced on on the uh, string. So those are some of the the and the other thing we do too that's different. We have a big sprayer that we use on the back of a tractor, whereas in in uh, Nicaragua they'll do it with a backpack sprayer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's cheaper just to send ten guys down the rows with backpack sprayers in in Nicaragua, but we we have one mounted on a tractor. Because it's it's not cheaper to send in, <laughs> and uh, but the flip side of that, if you look at our field, we have what's called tractor rows. So every six rows of tobacco, there's going to be a, a five foot space where the tractor has to be able to fit through it. Mm-hmm. So we so we actually have way less yield per acre than what you would do is if you were in a in a foreign country because you don't have to lose that space for the tractor. So everything's a trade off. So I got I to gotta finish uh, Arnold's question because I forgot to ask this his part of the question. I asked my part. Um, do you have any plans on experimenting with Connecticut shade down there? No. And that's an interesting thing. Florida was the second largest grower of shade tobacco. And so we know it can be done. Matter of fact, it was, I'll be up in Havana, Florida, which is in Gadsden County, which was the that's that was the epicenter of Florida tobacco. Quincy and Gadsden, uh, Gadsden County, Quincy and Havana. But um, the reason why I won't grow shade, there's two reasons. Number one, it adds even more to the cost because now we got to yeah. put up poles, wires, and the, and the cheesecloth. And secondly, as a retailer, this is the difference when you're a retailer. You know what's going on in the industry. When you're a farmer, 
I hate to say this, but the tobacco, the cigar industry intentionally kept American farmers totally clueless about what goes on in the cigar industry. They, they, they have no, no idea. And so what has happened is that you have cigars out there that, have, that are called Connecticut Shade, that there's nothing Connecticut in it. It's from Ecuador, yeah. right? Yeah. Ecuador tobacco is half the price of Connecticut yeah. because mm-hmm. everything's cheaper there, right? So the Connecticut farmers kept losing market share, market share. And the other thing, as a retailer, if you the consumers know they didn't know the difference. If I handed you a, a cigar that had Connecticut shade on it or Ecuador shade, you you wouldn't be able to tell. I can tell, but most consumers can't. So you would see. A matter of fact, Ecuador is a little cleaner looking, by the way. Yeah, they're a little prettier. Yeah, they're a little prettier. However, Connecticut, in my opinion has a more nutty flavor to it. And I, I prefer the taste of Connecticut over Ecuador. Nothing wrong with Ecuador, but I just, there is a, there is a slight flavor difference. But knowing that, there's no reason for us to grow it. Because it's no, if we have a Florida shade tobacco and you can't tell the difference between Ecuador shade, <laughs> what's the point of doing it, yeah. right? Yeah, oh yeah. So the most important thing we did when we grew our Florida tobacco, which you guys talked about right when you started the show, you tasted our tobacco and it tasted different. Yeah. That was the most important thing. If our tobacco tasted just like Cuban tobacco or just like uh, Nicaraguan tobacco, there's no point in doing it because you can't taste the difference. It had to be a, prod- a, a leaf that when you blended it in a cigar, that it tasted different. Now, I got lucky. Not only did it taste different, it smells completely different. Yeah. When someone yeah. picks up a cigar with FSG in it, I can smell it from a mile away. And the reason I can smell it from a mile away is because it smells just like the tobacco bar when we're curing the tobacco. It's got an incredible aroma that's that's totally unique to it. So, you know, that was something we, we just got lucky on. But that's what we needed. We needed something that made a difference when you put it in a cigar. And the second thing that was really good about that is that when you when you blend it, remember, I, I work with cigar makers, right? We don't have a cigar factory. But we work with, with you know, Willie Herrera, Drew Estate, Eduardo Fernandez, Davido, all those guys. So when, when we give them the tobacco to work with, if it – when they put it in a blend and you put it in with Nicaraguan and Brazil and everything else, it can't get covered up. The good part is, is it stands through. It put it. Yeah, really. Yeah. I've tried all of those different blends that have the FSG and all of them stand apart from the other similar blends that don't have the FSG, which is exactly what you want, right? It, and that was key because as a consumer, why would you pay for the FSG if you can't taste it? Absolutely. You know? so, so that's why it, uh, you know, again, some divine intervention there. It's, everything worked on that end. So, uh, you know, we say prayers at night and thank God that those, those things worked out. Uh, and we've got, another, we've got another viewer question here from Bob, the cigar guy. Uh, he Hi, wants to know if, if the hurricane impacted the farms at all. That's a great question, man. We were sweating bullets the week before. I didn't even the, think about that. Sure. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was, I've lived in Florida since 1974 that hurricane was coming through when you say it's category five, you know, one of the bad parts about hurricanes in Florida is that the, the news makes you think you're going to die no matter what hurricane comes through. Yeah. 75 mile an hour winds on a category one or when you get to central Florida, it's not that big of a deal. We have, we have afternoon thunderstorms that are that strong. When you start talking about a category five, let me put this in perspective. If you're driving your car 75 miles an hour down the road and then you're driving at a hundred, it's a very noticeable difference, right? Now imagine driving 175 miles an hour. That's the that's the speed that NASCAR cars are going around a racetrack. Yeah. Those things are flying by a lot faster than if you watch somebody go down the highway. That's yeah. how strong the storm was. So this was a this was a, a I was nervous as long as 
everybody else in Florida was. And unfortunately, that that uh, that storm changed the track and went right over our farm. Now, the week, the, the days leading up to the storm, when when it looked like you know this thing was going to hit us, we had an entire crop of tobacco in the far, in the barns. Tobacco barns are the trusses and the walls are hurricane rated, but the metal is sheet metal held on yeah. by sheet metal screws. That's not meant to withstand 100-mile-an-hour-plus winds. So I was very concerned about the roof ripping off because that's usually what happens. So we rented two big U-Haul trucks and literally packed that tobacco in the cartons and put them inside the trucks because the truck's not going to blow away. Wow. And so we, we Wow, did I didn't know you still had – you were still processing tobacco at the, that got, point. All our tobacco was cured, but it wasn't all 100% packed up, and it hasn't been exported yet either. So all that yeah. – Remember, the thing about one thing about being the only cigar tobacco grower in the state, you can't insure your crop. There's insurance only works when you have a pool of people to spread the risk to. Right. So we're into this. If this stuff gets if the roof blows off and gets soaked with 13 inches of rain, which is what we got out there, it's ruined, right? So we had rented two trucks. We loaded those trucks up. We finished on Saturday. The storm came on Sunday. The trucks were watertight, worked out great. And believe it or not, the barns didn't have sustained any damage. We had trees down, power was out. The neighbor's house had shingles flying off of it. We were picking shingles up out of the tobacco field, but the barns stayed put. And we didn't, I mean, not a single screw pulled out. So, you know, again, thank God, man, we wow. got lucky. And, yeah, uh, that's lucky. Yeah. So it was a lot of work. I mean, we spent, I, I just, I was at the, you know, working at on the ranch today. We got, we have a cattle ranch too, and there's trees everywhere. So there's a, there's a ton of cleanup we got to do. But at the end of the day, the, uh, we got lucky. Uh, no one, you know, no one's got injured during the storm here in Central Florida. There's a, there's trees down everywhere, and the, my hats off to the linemen. If there's any linemen out there listening to this, man, God bless you. You guys are the best. Florida Power and, and Seco and all these other guys. These guys were working seven days a week, nonstop, and that's the biggest thing when you go through a big hurricane is getting power back. And these guys really, you know, they really busted hump and got it. And matter of fact, somebody told me there was a crew from Canada. That got their power on. So I mean, that, that's hats off to the Canadian power linemen that drove all the way down to help out. So wow, I don't think we, I don't think we had anybody make it from Oregon, but anyway, <laughs> but, but it, you know that we did okay. We it was a lot of extra work, but we, we're thank you for asking. We did good. And and good. Jeff, the, uh, the three stores in uh, in Orlando and the store in Tampa, how they how they fare through the uh, hurricane? Tampa did great. That was the one where the storm was supposed to go over. This Sand Lake yeah. store we're in, it was a mess. I got to oh, tell you, no. but, but inside was great. The staff here, Corona Cigar's got incredible staff. We get the best guys on the planet, and they—they they really everything. When you when a storm like this comes through, every single thing has to come off the floor. Yeah, it is because there's water going to get in your store. The windows will leak and all that other stuff. Parking lot was flooded, and the outside of the store got pretty trashed. Where roofs flying off and things like that. But anyway, listen, we could clean all that up, which is what we did. Yep. And uh, that's just part of living in Florida. It's like if you're in Canada, yeah. there's a snowstorm, you know, you got to shovel your way out of it, right? It's true. Eventually, eventually you're going to dig your way out of it. And so that's what people in Florida have been doing. They've been cleaning up and cutting trees and, and getting everything. You know, the, there's still debris everywhere. If you drive down the road right now, there's there's tree, there's tree debris everywhere. But that's, you know, it'll it'll take a month or two to get it cleaned up. But we'll, we'll get out of it. Uh, and, and we have to take our last station break, which is uh, – as people who watch the show frequently know, um, our, our ad's a little out of date, but it's brought to us by Drew Estate. They good. They good. Download the Drew Diplomat app. Get on that Drew Diplomat program. Check in those FSGs. Yeah. I mean, there's there's always subculture stuff 
on the hopper. If you don't have those Drew, Drew Diplomat points from checking in, I mean, you can go to any of the uh, Corona locations and you can check in and you can get points. Smoke that FSG, checking into the shop, or show up at a, a Drew Estate event at one of the Corona locations and get some extra points. And there's always, uh, I think there's always extra stuff going on. If you go down when there's a Drew Estate event and you're a Drew Diplomat uh, member, there's uh, there's some extra stuff there. So don't uh, yeah, you, you don't miss out. Yeah, you show them that you're on the app, they'll give you a, an extra free cigar. That's an exclusive cigar. The only way you get it is by going to an event and showing your uh, Drew Diplomat app. Boom. Uh We've got, I mean, we've got so many questions now. They're rolling in. People want to win this stuff. They want to win that uh, stuff. So Chico Ray has a question about something that I just learned about, like, maybe 10 minutes before we got ready for this show, uh, which is the American, a cigar with an FSG wrapper. When is that coming out? Hopefully soon. Um, th- that's an interesting pro- project that uh, J.C. Newman's doing. Remember we talked okay. about... about uh, having things made in America, right? Yeah, I was going to ask uh, what factory that was coming out of. So it's coming yeah. out of J.C. Newman in, in Ybor City? Yeah, that's coming out of the J.C. Newman factory, hand-making cigars in that factory again. And um, it's it's made with all-American tobacco. It uses wrapper from our farm. So uh, we got Florida sun-grown wrapper on it, and then it has Pennsylvania broadleaf and uh, Connecticut broadleaf and then Co- Connecticut Havana uh, in the blend. And uh, the that Pennsylvania tobacco. Yeah, the- that sounds amazing. Yeah, so so soon. Again, I, <laughs> I grow the tobacco on it, and I, I help out as much as I can. But the uh, the actual making of that cigar is, is uh, that's a project by Drew Newman, and uh, we're going to let him uh, hit that when it comes out. That's a fair answer. Uh, um, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was, so I was going to say, um, Jeff, are you on the farm? Are you focused mostly on because you know I know with with the labor costs, one of the things they said in Connecticut is they're really focused on wrapper tobacco because that's frankly that's where the money is. Is that the focus of of your farm, or is that a sort of a secondary consideration, just making quality tobacco? Well, one of the first things I learned from Eduardo Fernandez was he said, Jeff, whenever you grow your tobacco, always try and grow wrapper because no matter what, when you grow wrapper, you're going to get filler. If you only try to grow filler, you'll never get wrapper. Yeah. So. At the end of the day, uh, because you know it, it, it costs us as much money to, to pick a leaf that has a hole in it or one that's perfect, right? Yeah. So if we have tobacco that's got a hole on either side, we don't even pick it. We just tell our workers to, to snap it off and throw it on the ground um, because, it, it, remember, the, the labors would cost us the money. Yeah. So this year we have an incredible crop. Best crop ever was this year. And um, so we're going to have a lot of wrapper from this year's crop. Last year, we had a great tobacco crop, but we had terrible weather. We had a we had a uh, a hailstorm that hit us late. Mm. We always get hail. It's it always happens. But if you get hail and your plant is only this tall, it's not a problem because those leaves are not going to be the ones that turn into cigar. You know, the ones we use um, later as the plant gets bigger. If you get a hailstorm and your plant is you know three feet tall, four feet tall. Every single leaf on that plant are the ones that you would have harvested. And we had a hailstorm in in last year when the uh, tobacco was about four feet tall. So we had a lot of damaged leaves. So, uh, you know, at the end, we had 3,500 pounds of tobacco. Now, normally we grow grow 5,000. But last year with a hailstorm, we don't, you know, if it's it's got holes in it now, there's no point in picking it. But uh, this year we had 7,000 pounds. So, you know, there's there's good years and bad years. And and again, Mm -hmm. there's sort of a coconut telegraph that we use between people to grow tobacco and 
you know, Hirochi Robanya down on Cuba was telling me this. He goes, he finds that every three, it's always been a cycle for him. He goes, every three years, you're going to have a phenomenal crop. You're, you're going to have one that's fantastic, one that's okay, and then you're going to have one where the weather's going to just nail you. And that's just the way it is. And, and you know what? The folks in Connecticut got nailed with hail this year. They had a yeah. Pad. I was going to mention that at the barn smoker, the farm that the barn smoker was held at in Connecticut, they had such a bad hailstorm that affected that particular farm so bad it was cheaper to just mulch all the tobacco than to harvest any of it. Well, the other thing is they have crop insurance up there, so with oh, crop, yeah. oh okay, it, it'll it'll cover their costs. But but here, we're you know if we get hit by hail, we're eating it. So, so for them, they, they can at least, um, they, with crop insurance, they won't make any money though, but at least it won't, it won't, it'll cover like their costs of what they had into it to get it to that yeah. point. Right. So, but, but yeah, they, you know, it happens. It happens like, like I said, every, that's why, that is why, that's why big cigar factories have an advantage where they spend, you know, you go to Fuente or go to Davidoff or Altidus and all these other guys, they have tons of tobacco. I mean, they have Drew Estate. True State has tobacco, you know, mm-hmm. you got it. Years. You're, yeah. You're, you're going to have years where the, where it's just not, you know, things happen. Right. Yeah. And so you can't be in that position where if, a, if you have a year of bad, where there's no uh, broadleaf available, right. You want to be able to still make Liga Provadas. So you got to yeah. make sure you got more that you should have at least a three year supply of tobacco in stock. That costs a ton of money. That's why cigars are expensive, man. That's a, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm seriously, so, so uh, that's you know it's it's a handmade product using a product that's that that's at the mercy of, of Mother Nature, so it's one of the things we deal with. Trippy and I have said on multiple occasions, if if only we could take that guy that complains about the cost of a cigar and take him out to the farm for a day and bring him back, he'll never complain about the cost of a cigar again. It's yeah. so true. I'm amazed if you go through the whole process because you know if you see it from from the time we plant the seed to the time we actually put it on the shelf in the store. You would think that cigars would cost a hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, yeah. Work goes in. You know what? Honestly, if they if 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 they weren't made in Nicaragua and Dominican Republic, you know they they would be a lot more because you know it's just the amount of labor. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, here's a question from Cole Cruz. He wants to know, as a retailer, when and why did you decide to start a farm? Well, we wanted to do something different. You know, again, from the from the political aspect of it, and also to have a you know, have cigars that had a unique component. You know, for example, when we're selling Liga Provadas and T-52s and, and uh, you know, Davidoff, Oro Blancos and all this other stuff, you got all these, there's, there's a market for people that want something different. And we knew that mm-hmm. we could make, a, we could make a, a cigar that had, the other thing about being in the cigar business for 20 years, I've had heard every bullshit story. <laughs> <laughs> this cigar different. Oh, we only use the finest tobacco. Tell me a tell me a cigar maker that doesn't say he doesn't use the finest yeah. tobacco. Grade A tobacco. Oh, you're the first one to use grade A tobacco. <laughs> well, I, I yeah. tobacco for mine, right? No. Yeah. Every cigar makers get this, you know, the same old line, right? But then there's the legit, you know, you look at legit operations and you see, you know, you look, you go to Drew Estate Cigar Safari, you see what's involved here, right? You see they're really making you know, the, the way they're doing things and, and these, these factories that have, uh, you know, again, we talked about millions of dollars of tobacco in stock and actually doing, making cigars. So we had to come up with something that was truly unique. And, um, and this was a passion project. Again, this wasn't about, as crazy as it sounded, this was not about making money. It was about not losing money. That's the thing, because there's no way you can have a farm and it's just got to be sustainable. It's just got to cover the costs. 
because uh, if you know if we're losing money year over year, pretty soon you know everybody gets tired of losing money. Yeah. So well, we we needed to make sure that we could get products out that can at least make the farm sustainable. You hear that word a lot in agriculture, by the way, sustainable, sustainable, sustainable. Because uh, you know if you don't, that's why you see farms closing up or just not growing anything anymore because they can't make ends meet. So um, that's why we did it. We wanted something unique. We wanted something special, and we wanted something from Florida again. I mean, look, none of us, none of us have smoked a cigar with Florida tobacco before. Your grandfather might have, but none of mm-hmm. us have, right? No. So why isn't that something that that is like, man? I would like to have a cigar that has Florida tobacco in it. And 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 knowing that it was done before, I say this on the barn smoker all the time. The tobacco that's in our field has no idea whether it's 2017 or 1817. It has no concept of time. And we already know that great cigar tobacco was grown here. The Cubans had a huge plantation, by the way. Most people don't talk about it. If you look at, if you Google Fort Pierce, Florida, I'm sorry, Fort Meade, Fort Meade, M-E-A-D, Fort Meade, Florida in tobacco. The Cubans had a 350-acre cigar tobacco plantation in 1895 to 1904 during the Spanish-American War. That's a huge farm. Let me tell you, 350 acres of tobacco is big, especially when you're using mules. And, 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 and <laughs> seriously so what happened during the spanish-american war that they, they didn't know they didn't know what was going to happen in their country they had spain fighting against they wanted their independence all this other stuff these guys left there and came to florida to to start growing cuban tobacco here so and they were grown sun-grown too by the way and it was very successful but once the war ended and they were told that they could go back and, and own land and have a farm they went back to their country Little did they know in 1961, you know, you'd have, or 1959, actually, you'd have uh, Fidel Castro taking all their shit from them. But anyway, that, that's that's what happened. But the, uh, the, the to, Cuban tobacco was grown here 100 years ago, 125 years ago, and it was great tobacco then. Why can't it be great tobacco today? So, that, so that's part of the reason we did it. Nice. All right, let's squeeze in one more question before we have to end the Armed Forces Radio Network segment. Uh, 302JH, a.k.a. Man Angel Number 1, he wants to know, uh, what what are the challenges of exporting your crops from Florida to Nicaragua? Ooh, I hadn't question. even thought about that. Good question. That's a great question, man. Yeah, that, I love that question. Boy, we had, to, we had to fumble our way through that one. That was challenging at first. Because first off, when you act, there's two things that have to be done. When, when you, and I didn't know this before, there's something called a phytosanitary certificate. I didn't know what those words meant. <laughs> But what it is, basically, the U.S. Department of Agriculture comes by whenever you're exporting uh, agriculture product. They're going to make sure, number one, what, what you say is in the cartons is what's in there. So mm-hmm. it's not like we export drugs out of the United States, but sometimes drugs come back into our country, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you say that there's, you know, you're exporting, you know, cigar tobacco, they actually come and look. They look in the boxes. And they also make sure that that's what's in it uh, just to make sure there's not a... Um, you know, you, there's issues with exotic plants and, and animals coming across countries, oh, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, you got a you know monkeys living here that that came from you know we're not supposed to have monkeys in Orlando, right? Oh. But anyway, that's why they inspect you know things like livestock and plants. So um, the funny part is, is when we called the U.S. Department of Agriculture, nobody knew how to do it because they're they're stationed in Florida. They're like, man, I don't know how to do this. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever exported tobacco. No experience, yeah. No clue. So it took about literally two months. You're dealing with bureaucrats, too. But listen, I love the people at the Department of Agriculture. They're much different than the people at IRS. The, these people actually are there to help you. But um, so so it took, it took about two months for them to figure out how do you do this, right? 
So we mm -hmm. got the, the phytosanitary certificate. And then the other thing was finding somebody to fumigate tobacco because, or just fumigate the product, period. Because every agricultural product that comes into America and goes out gets fumigated. And they do that, you know, so you don't have banana spiders from Costa Rica crawling around Florida and stuff like that, right? So they do that. So they fumigate all of our, everything you eat that comes from another country gets fumigated. But it gets fumigated with something that, that has no residual on it. Yeah. Oh, methyl bromide. Yeah. Methyl bromide is about impossible to buy anymore unless it's used for agricultural purposes. There's only two companies in the entire state of Florida that do it. So I had to find these guys, and that was like <laughs> drag on it. So anyway, and then getting the paperwork done. So the, the, the first year that we did this, man, it was frustrating. And I, I'll thank my sister, Amy, uh, to, who handles that for me now because it's so frustrating. Because the other thing that happens when you're dealing with the government is that, remember, we only grow one crop a year. So the person that came inspected that last year may not work for the U.S. Department of Agriculture this year. And so yep. then you got to go through the whole circus act again of how do you do this and that and the certificate of origin. That's the other thing. There's three documents. Then the certificate of origin is another one. So anyway, yeah, we get it done. And uh, it's always a, again, thank you, Amy, for handling that because I, I, like, <laughs> I like doing work. I hate doing that kind of paperwork. It's frustrating yeah. when you got to make 50 phone calls and get one thing done. Yeah. That's a great question. We should uh, mark that one down. Yeah, that one's getting some. Um, <laughs> Send them some swag there. So uh, that brings us to the end of our Armed Forces Radio Network segment. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we appreciate you out there doing things that we're not built to do over here. Uh, try to, you know, have a great weekend. Enjoy a cigar if you can. Uh, thank you for listening. All right. And now we're back in our, our what we call our after dark segment where we can say whatever we want. So we're still uh, we're, live. We're still, still live being, on Facebook. Still, um, still going to be on podcast. So we can't yeah. say anything that would get us in trouble. We won't. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, we've just got a bunch more questions here. All right, let's uh, go. Let me find this one from Kevin. I'm marking down the names so that I can find them because we've got a lot of chatter as well. Uh, so Kevin wanted to know, I can't even find the way he phrased it, but he basically wants to know, uh, what's the difference in the Vitolas for the FSG Drew Estate line? Well, the blend is the same on all of them, but I can tell you there's a taste difference between um, the 660 has in, in the Robusto. To me, I pick up the most FSG influence in the Robusto, and, and that probably has to do with when you, when you bunch a Robusto because mm -hmm. it's a five-inch cigar, when the roller breaks that leaf off at the bottom and flips everything around and, and puts it back in, in, in towards the top – I think you know you just get more of a double dose of it. So yeah, you get less of that gap in the in the yeah. kind of the second third. Yeah, so I taste the FSG influence in the Robusta the most, and that's my favorite size. Uh, and the six by sixty as well. And again, Willie Herrera blended these cigars. Again, uh, he, you know, the guys at Drew Estate make it in their their factory Nestle. And um, I think the FS that the six sixty just based on the ring size too more than likely has an extra leaf in it of FSG as well because yeah. it's 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 got a those two sizes uh, have a different um, different taste whereas the the, the bellicoso and the toro 6x52 to me taste identical just the different shapes um, and then the box press one tastes totally different because that uses a, a broadleaf uh, yeah. wrapper that one is so good so so that's totally different taste has a totally it's a little stronger in my opinion and then, mm -hmm. you, and whereas the uh, the other round ones, the FSG and the round, are using Brazilian uh, uh, wrapper on it. So they've got a different flavor. All right, John, you're up. 
So uh, obviously it, it was a big project, it was a big undertaking. Um, you, you already mentioned that there's a number of people in the industry that were more than happy to to help out and you know lend some advice, lend assistance where they could. Did you find that kind of across the industry where a lot of people sort of ex- as excited about bringing tobacco back to Florida as you were? The farmers are. The cigar farmers ma- are. I don't. I didn't. I, I think a lot of cigar makers, in my opinion. Um, you know, that's sort of a good old boys club, um, and and mm-hmm. they like to keep those gates shut. Yeah. But as far as the uh, cigar, the guys that grow tobacco, the you know the Nestor Placencias, the Hirocho Robinias, the you know the the, the Eduardo Fernandez, um, and I'll tell you why, because when you grow cigar tobacco, you're the guy that really does the work. You understand what it means to be out there busting your tail, and and it's hard work. So no matter. Any, any cigar tobacco grower, there's a mutual respect, and you can't fake it. You know what I mean? It's not like we're faking yeah. a farm. We're not faking what we're doing here. And so um, that's been good, and everybody's always been helpful on it, too. Um, and I'll add, you know, Del Fernandez as well. He's a guy that, that does things, and and, uh, and um, uh, Pepin Garcia, you know, there's just uh, Carlos Fuente Jr. Guys that actually make cigars and grow tobacco – there's a hundred percent respect on that end because they, because you know, they, they're like, dude, look at this crazy retailer decided to grow cigar tobacco. Man. Dude, you, really, you know what I mean? Crazy gringo. Andy's done it for five years and they know, they just yeah. know the work that goes in. They know that, you know, there's no way we're making money on the tobacco, on the tobacco. They know what it costs. And, um, but we're doing it for the reason of, of, you know, like we said earlier, of having something special. So, um, and one of the coolest things that, we all try to help each other. If there's problems, whatever, you know, it, it, occasionally I actually get to give a little advice to Max because they see us doing some modern stuff. So that's kind of cool. Um, Nick almost another guy that grows tobacco that helps. But um, one of the things about Nestor Placencia came out to the farm and, and you know, his, his father, he's second generation grown. His father grows him and Eduardo Fernandez are the biggest tobacco growers in, in Central America. And one of the things that Nestor said was real interesting is that, yes, we try to help each other, but if you take technical advice from Central America and try to apply it to Orlando, Florida, or Claremont, Florida, um, it doesn't always work. Yeah. Same thing with Connecticut and same thing with uh, with yeah. uh, the Dominican Republic. The area that we do that I so far, anything that works in Cuba works for us. Interesting. We're very, we're, Florida is very close to Cuba. We have very similar climates. And the di- big difference is the altitude. We're at 105 feet above sea level where our right. farm that's the exact altitude of Pinardo Rio. If you Google it, you'll, you can see yep. the altitude. If you look at the altitude in, in Esteli, it's 1,200, 1,100, uh-huh. 1,200 feet, 1,400 up in Jalapa. Things are very different when you start getting into higher altitude, especially when it comes to curing tobacco. Um, you know, humidity and moisture and, and, and uh, um, you know, curing it, there's a whole different thing. But back to what Nestor said, he goes, you know, he goes, he goes, tell me about it. He goes, I've brought people from Cuba, and I've tried to do exactly what they do in Cuba, in, in Nicaragua and Honduras. And he goes, I have ruined entire crops by doing it the way they do it in Cuba. No disrespect to the Cubans that tried to, that, you know, they're there to help on that. But it's just, you know, Cuba and Nicaragua are not the same. They're not the same places. So yeah. it's just like you're you, where you're up in Canada, you're freezing over there. You know, it's 90 degrees here. Yeah. Up there, it's 30 degrees today. So it's a big difference in where you're where you're growing it. So, um, but again, there's a camaraderie. There's definitely um, tons of respect for anybody that's growing growing tobacco. 
And I guess obviously the added challenge uh, beyond the heat, which, you know, you see a lot of heat in Connecticut, but Florida, especially tons of heat, but Florida, especially humidity levels in Florida can be like right off the charts. So that's got to be a really interesting challenge in the curing barns to make sure that uh, you're not yeah. getting tobacco rot. That was interesting because we tried when we built our first tobacco barn, which is now our, the barn where we keep our tractors. Or put ventilation doors and all that kind of stuff like they have in Nicaragua and Connecticut. Yep, yep. That was a huge waste of money. I never had to open them up. <laughs> we had to do the exact opposite. It, believe it or not, we have to add humidity to our... Really? And it goes back to the thing. You, know, you can look at how they do it in every other country. But actually, when we cure our tobacco, we're harvesting in May and June, right? And it's right. hanging in July. Yes, it gets humid in Florida, but it's it's 90% humidity in the morning. That's why you yep. have dew around, right? By noontime... The humidity will be 55 percent. It like it's it's like clockwork. As soon as it rains at three or four o'clock, the humidity will go back up. We actually have to add humidity during the day, otherwise the barn will get too dry. So wow. we're so. But being a retailer that has humidified cigar stores, I knew a thing or two about humidifying, right? Yeah. So built my own humidification system for the barns. So we have to actually humidify our barns when we're curing our tobacco. That was something I never thought we would have to do. No one else has to do it but us. Yeah, I was going to say nobody else does that. Nobody else does that. <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're in Connecticut and you're harvesting tobacco, it's hanging in October. So you've got tobacco that's that's in the barns in October. And in, 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 if you're bringing stuff in in September, too, it's at, at night it's cool. And you got to get rid of that moisture. So they run heaters in there. They mm-hmm. go see yeah. those, those stoves, right? So they yeah. have to fire them up to get rid of the moisture. So for us, it's it's the opposite. The only time we do it is a challenge, though, when a tropical storm or hurricane comes through and you have rain for two, three, four days. Then then we have to make sure that we we get the moisture out, and right. then we open all the doors and ventilate. But other than that, most times we're we're actually putting moisture in the barn. Wow, that's you know that's that's really interesting, Jeff. I mean, it just really speaks to like you said, you can take practices from other places, but they don't necessarily apply, and you found a unique challenge because yeah we've never heard of that that's in the other part mentioned about it being hot that was something too that i learned too so hirochi robina who's one of the uh, premier growers of tobacco in cuba so he came he's been up to the farm a couple times i really respect hirochi by the way that guy's the real deal super nice guy and he i mean when he's at the farm i love it because he just starts working he's in his element he can't stop i mean we're, we're walking through the field and he's like topping and suckering and all this stuff. The guy's like, he, he just, you can tell he loves it, right? Yeah. So one of the things we talked about is, as you know, in my barn, it's when we're hanging the tobacco, you can smell it like like putting off the ammonia, like it's fermenting, right? Which is not normal when you're hanging tobacco. When it, when it's in a barn, it's cured. When you put it in the piles to, to do the fermentation, that's when the nitrates are, are, are expelled in the form of uh, ammonia. And so we actually start to smell that in the barn. I'm like, why is that happening? And when Nestor Placencia came over to us, I said, why is that happening? He goes, I've only seen that happen in Cuba because when it gets real hot, which our tobacco is hanging in June and July. And let me tell you, it's smoking hot in yeah. Florida. Yeah, I bet. So that tobacco actually goes through a sweat while it's hanging up. So that sun in the heat actually helps us. Combined with the moisture, it actually starts to sweat just while it's up on the sticks inside the barn. Another thing that just we didn't know about, but it, it worked out in our favor. That's, I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, <clears throat> now that you've talked about the processes, I think uh, Troopy and I definitely need to be going down to the barn smoker in we Florida. We would love to have you. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, Trippy, uh, I'm going to try to make it down to that one. We'll see. <clears throat> um, 
We've got a couple more questions here. Arnold Serafin wants to know if uh, if you think that there's any way that local cigar makers in Tampa, if any of those factories that are kind of, you know, they don't really sell their cigars outside of the factory, if they'll be able to buy some of your wrapper. Probably not. And the only reason being is that we're what we we've had a core group of people that we're dealing with mm-hmm. um, that have. You know, it's easy to jump on the bandwagon once you see it works, right? But Jonathan and Marvin, when he was with Drew Estate, from the first time they saw the factory, they were believers in what we do. Um, J.C. Newman, Eric and Bobby Newman, and Drew Newman especially, um, believers in the concept. Remember, they're the only factory in America. So, so, uh, and, and we sent, and Davidoff has tobacco too, and then Eduardo Fernandez. Other than those four, we're probably not going to have our tobacco in any other factories, just because, um, you know, it's a partnership, right? We, yeah. They committed to uh, supporting um, FSG in taking the risk, you know, be honest with you, taking the risk from day one with that with that leaf and, and making and, and the cigars turn out great. Now that we know that they're great, yeah, there's a lot of other people that'll, that want the, the leaf, but, you know, it's just not fair to, you know, loyalty for me is very important. And, um, of course. Those are the, the factories that we're uh, that we're going to stick with. Well, and I guess with five to seven thousand pounds, I mean, for especially for the larger manufacturers, that's that's such a for them that's such a small quantity of tobacco. It's probably easy for all that to get snapped up. Fortunately, you've got those great relationships that the you know they'll take all that tobacco. Yeah. So that so we're we're um, again we're thankful for that. But and I, listen, I love those little factories in Tampa. By the way, the the they're all they're they're all basically in Ybor City. In Ybor City, if you ever a chance to go to Tampa. You know, we have a Davidoff store in Tampa, which is beautiful. That's that's the total opposite of Ebor City, meaning Ebor City's <laughs> old. No, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Way. But, but but I'm saying it's got that old historic thing to it. Yeah. I mean, you know, our Davidoff store is the modern, slick, European, sophisticated look. So, but I love that in Ebor City. There's like five or six little cigar makers, and um, the, there's to me, it is so important that those guys not only survive but thrive because Tampa's called the cigar city for a reason and it needs to have that element that that spirit mm-hmm. of the entrepreneur that has the two or three rollers and his little shop on Ebor City down the street it, that's what that's what gives that that street that area its character so you know I, I, I love those shops and, and I think they're great but at the same time you know JC Newman's right across the way there in Ebor City as well and and that's where the, that's where our tobacco will be. So, uh, Trippy, you can look up an audience question, but I have a follow up, which is uh, not Florida Sungone related. So you've you've done really successfully, obviously, with the Corona uh, uh, Corona uh, cigar lounges and and bars. Uh, you've got the uh, Monte Cristo Lounge. You've got the Drew Lounge. You've of course got the massive because I think it, the the Davidoff cigar bar in Tampa is like what five thousand square feet or something massive. Yeah, it's a little more than that. They're, all our stores are really big. Except <laughs> They're big. Our, our Heathrow stores is a little smaller than the other ones, but but smaller to us is huge to what most of our stores are. Yeah. But uh, there's a reason for them being big. I mean, it's uh, it's believe it or not, it's as much work to run a small shop as it is a big one. I believe it. And I, but not every town or not every neighborhood can support, um, you know, a big Corona cigar because they're. Yeah. they're the machine it's it they they're very expensive to operate they they eat cash left and right and you got to have a lot of customers a lot of business to keep them going 
Yeah. So at the same time, if you're in the smaller towns in America, man, I, my hat's off to the cigar retailers. They, we, we need these guys. These guys are important. The, the, you know, the, the mom and pop shop that, that, you know, they are the only employee. Let me tell you, those guys work their, their tails off. Because there's a saying when you're a small business owner and you and like you're the only employees, or you might have yeah. a lot of times you're chained to that business. When I say yeah. chained business, when other people are taking vacations or going away for three day weekends and stuff, you're you're stuck working. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I have mad respect for for you know the small business guys out there with their with their retail cigar shops because you know if you didn't have the especially the ones that have lounges, you know if you didn't have a, a cigar shop to me. Is like what a barber shop used to be in the old days. Guys hang out, smoke cigars, talk to each other, you know, and actually interact instead of just staring at cell phones all day. So it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's something to be said for that. And uh, and uh, you know, I'm glad we I'm glad we have it, and I'm glad that you know, so many shops have asked, you know, can we get FSG FSG? And it took a while for us to you know to get this the brand out nationally. And uh, but now that that you know, partnering with Drew Estate and the brands out, going to be going to the other cigar shops. To me, that's a that's a huge deal because this was never intended for it to be. Oh, you can only buy him a Corona cigar, yeah. even though that's reality. What it's been for the last year, that was never the intention of this. The intention of it was for it to be a product out there that's unique, that has something different that everybody can enjoy and other retailers can have as well. So we're finally seeing that happen, and um, you know, yeah, the, the, sometimes you know we don't we don't write business plans, but we have I have visions. <laughs> And it's coming together, which is which. That's fantastic. Uh, do you know when the FSGs are going to be hitting retail at the Drew Diplomat shops across so, the country? According to the guys at Drew Estate, they are shipping sometime this month. But I got to tell okay. you, I've been in business for twenty years, and I say this all the <laughs> yeah. time. You know, Nicaraguan time and you know American time aren't always the yeah, same. It's not the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, I, had a, I had a good friend from uh, from Cuba. Um, and he had this famous quote. He said, "He said, you know, people in Nicaragua and Cuba, uh, or pardon me, <clears throat> Americans, you've got watches. People in Nicaragua and Cuba, they've got time." Yep, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So supposedly they'll be out this month. Uh, you know. Well, so. actually, On just updated me and it says they're shipping now, so th- nice. they should be out this month. On, I'll believe it when I see the retailers. Hold boxes. <laughs> I got my FSG. Post it on Facebook when you get your boxes in the la- in the uh, cigar lounges and shops. Absolutely. All right. All right, and I've I while while you got while you were answering the question before that, I did some random number generation uh, to pick some of our uh, our winners here. So Those are some great uh, questions. Thank if, you very much you, for all our audience. If I say your name right now, first, thank you for asking a question. Thank you everybody for asking questions. Um, and email me at trip, T-R-I-P-P, at cigarfederation.com, um, and I'll get your information over. So the winners are Ruben Goodblood, uh, Chico Ray, Bob the Cigar Guy, uh, Jose, 302JH, uh, and Cole Cruz. So send me your address, and we'll get those prizes sent out to you. Nice. And, and make sure to post them on like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Because uh, yep. I want to see what you got. So, Jeff, if they're going to tag you and obviously uh, Florida Sun Grown on Instagram, on Facebook, what should they tag on, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Instagram, it's it's uh, at Corona Cigar Co. On Facebook, man, we've got five or six different ones there. They <laughs> Tag me personally on that one. Do Jeff do Jeff Forsworth's on Facebook. That'll be that'll be best. The, listen, believe it or not, I'm the guy that does our social media. So when you see these pictures on Instagram, it's from me. And so, uh, 
the the Facebook stuff, uh, you know, we share that with our marketing team, and they do a great job of that too. But the Instagram ones, it's me and this trusty old broken iPhone here, and uh, <laughs> it's just anyway, it's just easier. And uh, I see a lot of cool stuff, so I like to take pictures of it. <laughs> You're wearing a lot of hats, Jeff. A lot of hats. Yeah, it's fun though. <laughs> Labor of love. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, one, one quick thing though, before one we more thing. All right, go for it. Here's the deal. I want to give a big shout out to the to everybody that's ever worked at our farm in Claremont. Uh, we have a family, the the Baraja family, that's been with me since we started. Um, they do a fantastic job, and you know what was interesting? They never worked in tobacco before, right? They've been involved in agriculture, never been involved, in but uh, you know, we taught them. Here's here's the deal. I mean. I, when we have guys working at the farm, we give them cigars because we want them to understand what it is they're working on. There's a difference between a cigar and a cigarette, right? Most of these guys have never had a premium cigar in their life. So when you show them, here's the wrapper, here's the binder, here's the filler. This is what we're looking for. So um, our guys that work on the farm, they 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 have bought into what, you know, that we're all about quality. We're about, about making something great and something that, that gets enjoyed around the world. So that's number one. And second, we have a lot of different, because we're seasonal, right? We only grow tobacco in the spring. I've had, we've had substitute teachers. We've had all kinds of people out there that have worked just because they, you know, hey man, they want to work on a farm. Just trust me, you can't, there's not a lot of farms to work on anymore, but they want to, you know, they like, they like doing that stuff. So I want to thank everybody that's ever uh, worked at the FSG farm. And because uh, let me tell you, it's hard ass work. It's, it's, it's crazy hard. It's crazy hot. But um, anyway, we we get it done, and um, at the end, we make a great cigar. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody, for watching, listening, uh, downloading the podcast, commenting, asking questions. We really appreciate you. Uh, catch us next week. We'll, have, we'll be back with more sharing our pairings and more cigar chat. Now I can smoke this. <laughs> <laughs> Less talk and more.